0: Priest, the high priest, offered the most important sacrifice of the year to roll back the sins of the people in the Old Testament. And so, in general, the idea of the priest is somebody that is a mediator between us and God. He's a comforter, he's a pastor, he's someone who corrects us, someone that guides us. Jesus is worthy of this superior position over all believers. So in short, if he is in that position, we can trust him completely. So much so that we look to him as our example. We've heard that, right? Of how to live. We want to practice the same things that he did. We want to be true in our faithful actions to God. Let me give you a quick example of, of truth and trust. So let's say that I owed you $20, $20, right? Some people are like, ooh, preacher's giving away money. No, sorry, this is just an example, all right? Say, I, let's, let's make it even more, let's, let's buy into this a little bit more, okay, of this truth and trust. Let's say I owed you $4,000. That's $220 bills. And I came to you, and you put out your hand, and I laid down $220 bills, do you trust me? Well, what do you mean, do I trust you? Well, would you trust that every one of those bills would be true, would be real, would not be counterfeit? Because I don't know if you knew this or not, but there's over $70 million of counterfeit money that's circulating each year in the United States. So much so that the national Banking Association has a training for bank tellers. And in that training, did you know they never give a teller a counterfeit bill? Well, all they do day after day, hour after hour in this training is handle authentic currency until they're so familiar with the true thing that they cannot possibly be fooled by what's false. False. So the best way to be sure of the real thing, the true thing, is to be as closely patterned after the original as possible. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit today, is Jesus is that true thing. And our priorities can reveal a lot about us, right? Most often you can tell when somebody trusts Jesus in a superior way. It's demonstrated by their priorities, If we want Jesus to be our first priority so that he's superior in our lives, let's examine some of the things that were a priority to him. That makes sense. So if we're following him, his priorities should be ours. Because here's the truth. Choosing the right priorities will lead us along a true path. Choosing the right priorities will lead us along a true path. So as we jump into Hebrews, we're going to be in chapter 5. And uh, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, grab one from the seat back in front of you. You can open up uh, to our, the Bible app. Our sermon notes are in there. Or you can follow along on the screen as well. But we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 7. And uh, so what we're going to look for here is the priorities of Jesus. What was a priority to him? So let's jump in there. Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 7. Here we go. And was designated by God to be high priest. So, what were the priorities here? So, let's list them out. In verse 7, we see prayer as a priority, we see submission as a priority. In verse 8, we see obedience as a priority. And in verse 4, it says that Jesus was the source of all life, and he was a servant. He service was a priority to him. And as a result of these priorities, God gives Jesus this superior and special designation. He is the priest of our lives. Remember? Simply means that he is the mediator between us and God. He's the reason that we have the Holy Spirit within us as believers. He has compassion for us. He provides a hope for our future. And that's just scratching the surface. So in this verse there's four priorities. Let's dive just a little bit deeper into those priorities. Prayer. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Right? Here's the meaning of behind discipline. It doesn't come naturally. It isn't easy. It takes commitment and grit. And sometimes it's not very fun. But when we make discipline like prayer a daily commitment, we keep our eyes focused on the right direction. And basically, what it does is it helps us to combat spiritual laziness, which we're going to see further on when we get into, into Hebrews a little bit more. And, and we're staying equipped. When we, when we make prayer a priority, we're staying equipped to discern what the devil's schemes are and what God's truth is, what is true. What about submission? We like that word, right? Submission is a humbling action. Because we all know life is full of desires. It's full of things that we want Everybody has an idea of what their rights are and what we're and we're good at and we're really good at demanding that even in this culture. See sometimes our priorities can get mixed up as a result of our desires. Let's just I mean look at Adam and Eve, right? The story of Adam and Eve. The position of humanity today is a result of mixing up Our priorities due to desire, something that they wanted, that you wanted. Submission is designed to humble us and to help us to remember our purpose is greater than desire. And our priority is bigger than what we want. What about uh, obedience? Sometimes that's an even harder one. After all, I, I, I think if we're honest with each other, the majority of the time, most of the time, most of, all, most of us all want what's comfortable, not what's uncomfortable to us. In fact, given the opportunity, Jesus even prayed in the garden, right? He prayed. Remember, he made that a priority because he knew that he could be steered off the path. But do you remember what he said? He said, take this difficult path away from me. Take Take what's about to happen away. But at the last part of his prayer, revealed his obedience. But not what I want. But what you want. When's the last time that you said that? When's the last time you said that to God? When's the last time you said that to someone that you love? But here's the kicker. Jesus suffered because of his obedience. And think about it. We have it inverted in our society, where when you behave, when you obey, you get a reward, you get a treat, you get the gold star. But the truth is is sometimes obedience to God will lead us down paths that can lead to suffering and that are really hard. They're really difficult. So we have prayer, submission, obedience, and one of the last priorities was service. Jesus became the source of life to all people, to everyone, and that means that people should be a priority so that we can be a source of life to someone else. Simply stated, we should seek to do what we can do that is reasonable and righteous to help others experience life at its its best. So these were the priorities of Jesus. So choosing to have Jesus as our superior leader, specifically here, our superior priest, means choosing the priorities that he did. Prioritizing as Jesus did can put us on the path to intimately knowing the truth, what is true. To know the truth and to be true in our own lives. Now, the criticism of those receiving this letter in Hebrews is that they were failing to make these godly priorities a consistent habit. And let's look at the result. Let's jump back to Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. The author says, we have much to say about this. But listen listen to this. So he's got a lot to say. But it's hard to make, make it clear to you because you are no longer trying to understand In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, because of this, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. That's tough. The writer here, he's challenging them. He's challenging us. He's warning them. He's even accusing them of, being, of not being persistent in their faith and spiritual practice. He is calling them lazy. And as a result, their maturity is seriously lacking. Because here's another truth. Keeping a practice of spiritual priorities will lead us to a place of maturity. I think everybody would agree here that the foundation of a house is the most important. Because if your house is built on all janky of a foundation or the builder skips town after pouring the foundation and never raises the wall you still have a serious problem because yes I mean you can't have a house with a, without a foundation but a foundation without a home is still way short of the goal so how do the elementary things or the foundational things become permanent and lead to maturity. For those of you that don't know me very well, I love the game of soccer. Okay, I grew up playing it all from four or five years old all the way to now. I, I, I coach uh, a men's team at Johnson University, and so. But in high school, I had a coach that totally changed my perspective on on a saying. He would say this all the time. Maybe you've heard about you've heard this before, so you can help me. He would always say, gentlemen, practice makes, no, he didn't say that, which totally changed. I'm like, yeah, that's what I would have said, but I can't even say it anymore, which is why I had you say it, because I would have said it different. He would all, he would look at us while we were doing drills, you know, drills are the same thing over and over again. He would say, gentlemen, practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent, totally changed my perspective because we all know, right, we can practice the wrong thing. We can prioritize the wrong thing over and over again, and it makes it permanent in our life. Which, again, we can practice the right thing, the right priority, over and over in our lives, and it makes it permanent. See, the the group listening, the Hebrews here, they were told that even though that they should be teaching, they now needed to be taught the elementary things over again. But in contrast to that, they were told that the mature, by constant use, train themselves. This word for constant here means habit. It puts permanency in what you're doing. And if you remember over the last few weeks Ross has mentioned over and over again the idea of having been saved and then this idea of in the process of being saved. So when we understand that perseverance in the right priorities lead us on the right path to spiritual growth. So what does growing up mean? Well, knowledge and maturity need to be distinguished, I think. Because just because you have knowledge does not mean that you are mature. The mature are the ones who, uh, who put their knowledge into practice and through spiritual habits become people who are persistent in their priorities. Think about it. We know grace because we practiced grace. Not just read about it. We have shown grace to someone else. We know forgiveness because we have practiced forgiveness, or someone has shown us forgiveness. Think about the routines of Jesus, the priorities. What can we learn? We know that the presence, we know the presence of God through persistent prayer. We see that in Jesus' life. We know the humility of Christ through giving up our desires for what God desires. We know the obedience of Christ by practicing grace and forgiveness and the other characteristics that he demonstrated. And we know service through putting the needs of others ahead of our own. Maturity is a result of persistent practice. Now, I'm not discouraging knowledge or discounting it, But sometimes the pursuit of knowledge can be a barrier to real maturity. Let me state it this way. Maturity is not less than knowledge, but it is so much more. Let me say that again. Maturity is not less than knowledge, but man, it is so much more. It's a persistent practice of what we know to be true because our superior leader demonstrated it. So here are some good questions for us to think about. How has your prayer life increased and improved? And I'm talking about quantity and quality. Quality not just being saying words or asking for needs or routine, but a means to really know and understand the presence of of God in your life? How has your prayer life increased and improved? How have you become more submissive to God, to his church, to the essential people in your life where you have given up what you want to do for what God is calling you to do? How are you growing in obedience to God's commands? Right? You thought of something then. We all do. What is the one thing that has challenged God's commands that that you are challenging God's commands in in your life? How can you grow in obedience, in maturity through that? And how are you serving His will more each day. By taking the spotlight off of you and putting it on the needs of other people that are in your life, how can you serve God's will more each day? Growing up, we, um, in our house, we, um, there's a picture that's going to be put up on the screen, we had these growth charts and uh, we hung them up on the wall and our kids, year after year, would stand behind them and we would mark off their age and so we could see how tall they grew. Some, some of you, maybe it was a door frame where your parents would mark you year after year. Let me ask a question. What would happen year after year if the line never moved? No growth took place. We would take notice. We would take steps to try to figure out what's going on. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing today. What does your spiritual growth chart look like? By answering these four questions, it can help you take a step in the right direction. Because listen, engaging in religious activities is a step in the right direction. Coming to church, that's that's a step in the right direction. But just like a foundation without the vertical structures is incomplete, we can never just take one step. I've arrived. We have to learn and we grow by taking one step after the other. When Jesus is our high priest, when he's our savior, our leader, our comforter and more, Maturity is not an option. It's an expectation. That concept and this concept is stamped all over this letter and the theme of this letter. We get to maturity by following the pattern over and over with persistence. Let me end on this story that kind of brings it together. It's a story of a woman. Her name is Vera. Vera. And uh, she, like a lot of other women during World War II, wanted to do her part. So she took a job at the Firestone Rubber and Tire Company in Akron, Ohio. And so a lot of these companies during wartime began producing uh, different things needed to protect the soldiers overseas. So hour after hour, day by day, month after month, she did her job with persistent diligence, which became a habit in her life. And even though it was just a wartime job, inspecting the quality of items to be true, and to do what they were supposed to do, she took it seriously. And then in 1942, a young 19-year-old sailor named Elgin Staples was swept overboard when the USS Astoria took a hit injured him in his legs, and threw him into the sea. Fortunately, right before this happened, he had put on his life belt just a few moments before. A ship came along, and though some of his uh, fellow soldiers had perished, he and 500 other sailors survived that ordeal. And so when he was safe aboard the ship, he noticed this life belt, which saved his life, was made in his hometown of Akron, Ohio. So he shoved it in his duffel bag and took it home. When he arrived back home, he told his mother the story of what had happened on that tragic day and listened to her tell of all of the things that um, he had missed while he was away. And this is what Elgin wrote. He said, My mother informed me that to do her part, she had gotten a wartime job at the Firestone plant. Surprised and remembered, I jumped up grabbing the life belt from my duffel bag and put it on the table in front of her. Take a look at that, Mom. It was made right here in Akron at your plant. She leaned forward and taking the rubber belt in her hand, she read the label. And she had just heard the story and knew that in the darkness of that terrible night, it was this one piece of rubber belt that had saved my life. And when she looked up at me, Her mouth and her eyes were wide open with surprise. Son, I'm an inspector at Firestone, and this is my number. See, a mom's persistence in her daily priorities of inspecting life-saving equipment ensured her son's survival. How much more important is the mission of God's church We have been entrusted in sharing the truth of God. We have been expected to mature in our faith by choosing the same priorities as Jesus. And we have been empowered to go share the life-saving power of Jesus with our world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for the priorities and the example that he showed us about what we should be doing to grow in our faith. Father, help us to look to Jesus. Strengthen our prayer life, Father. Help us to become obedient to you, to submit to what you want, not what we want. And help us to be servants that look to serve your kingdom in many different ways, in the ways that you show us, Father. Father, and help us to be daily, persistent in these priorities, to not just when we think about it, to not just make these practices every once in a while, but help us and help them to become permanent in our life. Father, we thank you so much for your son, for the life-saving power that he provides for each one of us. Challenge us as the church to take Jesus to our world. In Jesus' name.